Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What is it that we are reading here? There is so much controversy, there has been for a long time, over the account of Genesis, the creation story. Is this literal? Is it symbolic? It is at the crux of such debates as evolution and intelligent design. A fundamental approach would be the earth was actually created in six or seven days, science versus faith, etc. I get a lot of feedback, a lot of questions about my take on the creation story and, of course, the subsequent story, which is the Garden of Eden story. So I want to go over a few of my thoughts on this, and it's not just my thoughts. This is obviously sourced in several different places. But there's a certain way to look at these stories. What I just read to you is at the very beginning of the book of Genesis. This is a problem for us. It may not have always been the first verse in the book of Genesis. It may not have been the first words that Moses put into place. The problem with the way that we have the chronology of the book of Genesis is that it appears that we're looking at a history, right? We start off with the beginning, the creation of the world, and it follows with Adam and Eve, and then we get Cain and Abel. We move down to Enoch and Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph and his brothers, and then move down into the story of the Israelites and Moses. There's a problem with this. This may not have always been the way that this story was told. This may not have always been the way that the scriptures were composed. Remember that we are getting reiterations of these stories and reiterations of these books of scripture as they get handed down from generation to generation. You have a small group of people that would have been in charge of these scriptures of the written record of the people. And with a mostly illiterate group of, of worshipers, of adherence to the Judeo-Christian religion anciently, much of what was passed down was done orally, through an oral tradition. And over time, what can happen with scripture is that things get compressed and you find excerpts of stories conflated with other stories, abridgments like we get with the Book of Mormon. Until we have a result that is brought to us today that may not tell the real story. 
or tricks us a little bit into thinking that what we are reading is history. Now, I'm not saying the Bible isn't history. What I am saying is that the creation story and the Garden of Eden story are not history. Now, let me clarify that a little bit. That does not mean that some of the principles that are used in the creation story in Genesis are not true. They certainly are. But because of the opening of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, it immediately sets into our mind that we're talking about the beginning of time and that everything after that is a chronology unfolding before us. This is a mistake. This is not the way it was meant to be. And with the restored gospel and with restored scripture, we can easily see that that is the case. Why is the creation story and the Garden of Eden story a central part of temple worship? Why has it always been in many cultures and civilizations anciently? Whether it's in the Middle East, whether it's in the, the Far East, whether it's in the Americas, the creation story, the beginning of man on earth story, and the flood story are pervasive throughout all periods of time and throughout all geographies. But those stories are not based on history. They are based on principles. They are based on a drama that is created in a spiritual setting in a temple. And at least with the Judeo-Christian tradition, they are based on visions, dreams perhaps. And that's the way that we need to look at them. Not as Moses writing down, hey, this is how this happened. But as temple liturgy, something that is a script that is written down for worshipers in a temple. That's what it's about. It is a message, a spiritual message, to the worshipers at those temples. Let me give you an idea of what I'm talking about. As you go through the book of Revelation and you read what's in there, it can become very confusing. There are very strange things that are brought up that make zero sense to us because they're not in our setting, in a modern time, and in a, in a Western culture. And if you take it literally, it seems preposterous. And if we're not careful, we can look at things like this and they become a part of a faith crisis for us. And they open us up to attacks, not just with the church, the LDS church, but with the Bible as a whole. So if I go to Revelation chapter 4, and here's what it says in verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will shew thee things which must be hereafter. This is the common theme of a vision. Think about Nephi and the angel that visits him. And he starts showing Nephi certain things. This is a dream or, or, or a vision of sorts. It is going to be presented in a very different way, primarily with objects of symbolism. Think of Lehi's vision, the tree of life, the, the great and spacious building, the, the rod of iron, the valley of judgment, the fiery darts. 
What is going on here? What is happening with this? It's symbolism. It's not a record of actually what is happening, not in a physical, literal sense. Verse 2 here in chapter 4, And immediately I was in the Spirit. Ah, there's a clue for us. I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So we're put into, again, kind of a temple environment. Because this is the idea of having a throne in the Holy of Holies. That's where the throne of God is. It's temple imagery. Verse 3, And he, he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. Well, what are these? Well, that's the first and the last stone of the 12 different colored stones on the breastplate of a high priest, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. It's symbolism. And there were 24 seats. And upon the seats I saw four and 20 elders sitting. Well, what is this? This is a council. This is a hierarchical display of the priesthood, also in a temple setting. And we get the seven lamps, we get the seven seals, we get the beasts and the four horsemen. This is a vision, right? And if we go to the beginning of the book of Revelation, we see that that's what is going on. We need to capture that and understand that what's going to unfold throughout all 22 chapters of the book of Revelation is a vision. We're looking at this with spiritual eyes, as John says, and I was immediately in the Spirit. That means what he's seeing is not literal, at least not all of it. And there's a heavy emphasis on symbolism. Verse 1 of, of uh, the book of Revelation says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Joseph Smith corrects this and says it's the revelation of John, right? Which God gave unto him to shew unto him, to shew unto him his servants things which must shortly come to pass. It's a vision. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So that's the stage that is being set up here. If we take the book of Daniel and we look at the dreams that he interpreted with King Nebuchadnezzar, Again, what we're looking at here is symbolism. We're looking at him being in the spirit to interpret these things. It's a different language. It's strange to us, especially in the ancient Middle East and probably everywhere anciently, this was not strange to people. You can see this in some of the heritage and tradition and culture of the Native Americans still. So this whole movement, especially now that we see out there where we get these, there's a lot of young earthers, right, that, that are, are young creationists where they're saying the earth was created in six days. Okay, that doesn't really make any sense to try and fit science into that type of a narrative. There's no reason to do it. It's not literal. And all of this kind of fringe science that's coming around about how the waters and the, and the core of the earth and how the heat of the earth could create something that changes the carbon readings of artifacts and geology. And geology. It doesn't matter, right? This whole idea of, of science versus faith is, is really, to some degree, worthless if you understand what is happening with the creation story and with the Garden of Eden story. Now, with the restored gospel, we have an additional three 
examples, support to the Genesis stories of creation and the Garden of Eden. I want to go through those three so that we get additional context to this whole idea of their, these all being a vision. In every instance, you can see that it is a vision. It is not a recording of history. The first place that we should look is going back to Moses and him being up on Mount Sinai. What is happening while he's up there? We don't talk about this enough. The setting, the stage for the book of Genesis, for the Torah, for the Ten Commandments. What is happening with him as he is up there on the mountain? Here's Exodus 25, 9. According to all that I shew thee, there we get it again. What is he showing? After the pattern of the tabernacle, it's the temple, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, the objects, even so shall ye make it. So Moses sees in vision on the mountain the creation story. It's a vision. And he builds the tabernacle and puts the objects in it according to that vision. They all represent what he saw. So we have to think to ourselves, what's the purpose of this vision if he immediately goes out and builds the tabernacle? It's not the knowledge of history, but it's the core of worship, temple worship. It's the core of the entire religion. And that's where all the detail comes in here as you follow through chapter 25 here, also in Deuteronomy, of how this is built, how the tabernacle is built. It's very precise. Measurements, materials, architecture, etc. It has to do with the idea of creation. And if you understand that the creation story and the Garden of Eden story are a vision that was given to Moses for the purpose of creating the temple, then we have a better idea of why those stories are in the temple for our worship, for our understanding, as a part of what we do with covenants. We don't get these stories so that we can have a better understanding of how things started. That is a, a byproduct. It is a lower law look at those stories. And that's where the attacks mostly come from. It's very similar to, say, for example, the translations of Joseph Smith, right, with the Book of Abraham and with the Book of Mormon. If we're trying to figure out scientifically what were the materials, what was the exact process, did he look at a seer stone in a hat? Did he use the Urim and Thummim? How many people witnessed what was going on? How many people witnessed the plates themselves, the, the golden plates? Those are all interesting things, but that's all the physical portion that we can get caught up in without looking at the higher purpose of the Book of Mormon itself. What matters is the fruit of it. What matters is the theology. What matters is the message that we get from it. It's the what, what is it, what is the Book of Mormon, and the why, what is its purpose, what is its meaning. And the attacks are almost always down below, right, because we get caught up in the science of it all. When I say science, I mean physical science, which is important. 
but it's not primary. And if we move that up into the primary reasoning for our faith behind the Book of Mormon, we're in trouble. We are anchoring on a foundation of sand. And the same goes with the Book of Abraham. All of the really excitement from both sides, if you look at it, those that critique it, those that are critical of the Book of Mormon, and those that are excited about it, which are small amount of people, really, that really get into that. But that whole focus in there on the manuscripts and what was lost and what wasn't lost and what was in the, the, the museum in Chicago and what came from the Met on the fragments that we do have of, of those and what do the Egyptologists think about the translations that Joseph Smith gave of the facsimiles and what was really there. Was it the Book of Breathings, the Book of the Dead? Is it all funerary texts? that we don't have today, that's all great stuff and it's really interesting. It's really kind of exciting, but it's a lower law issue. It's kind of like looking at the creation story and saying, yeah, this is how we can fit in everything into these six periods of time scientifically with geology and physical science and physics. That doesn't make any sense. That's not what this is about. And if we look down at the bottom of Exodus 25 here, in verse 40, we get a, an, another piece of support here for this idea of what was shown to him and this vision that he had when he was up in the mountain. It says, And look, that thou make them, right, this is about the objects in the temple, that thou make them after their pattern, which was shewed thee in the mount. So our temple experience is anchored in a vision not in history. The beginning of the Bible is not history, right? Yes, there was an Adam and Eve, but the story that we're getting, right, is not for the purpose of history for us. It is for the purpose of making covenants. It's for the purpose of us understanding who we are. Because as we are told, you and I are either Adam or Eve. That's what that story is about. It's about you. You partook of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. You fell from the presence of God. You are in the lone and dreary world. You need to follow through with following the apostles and the hierarchy of the priesthood and getting baptized and receiving the message of the gospel and of the atonement to help yourself get back to the presence of God. Again, and I'm not going to go much into the Garden of Eden on this episode, but again, this is not history that you're reading. You're not reading about somebody else. You're reading about you. You're reading a drama, right? Imagine that you are in a theater and there are different characters, Adam and Eve and Satan or Lucifer, the serpent, and Peter, James, and John, and Elohim, and Jehovah, and you're watching this in a theater on a stage with these actors. And they're teaching you something as you watch them. And by the way, any actor can come in and play one of those roles. They're roles to be played. It could be you. But the story in all of this is that you are Adam or you are Eve. And you're the one there watching this as an observer, but also as a participant. 
that's what a temple drama does. The creation story should be looked at the same way. It is temple liturgy. It is written down here in Genesis for the temple experience. Now, we can also go and look at another example here, which is, which is the book of Moses. What is the book of Moses? Well, as Joseph Smith was going through translating, that's a very loose word, in understanding what translating means with both the book of Moses and with the book of Abraham. We don't know exactly what that means, especially the book of Abraham, because we have really very few to none direct examples of how that process worked. But we get some really heavy clues as to what's going on with the Genesis story and the Garden of Eden story, right? Moses 1, 1. This is a inserted here before in the beginning, right? So this is, again, a large amount of setting up the stage for the creation story that we do not get in Genesis. Here's chapter 1, verse 1. The words of God, which he spake unto Moses at a time when Moses was caught up into an exceedingly high mountain. So what we're going to get here is a vision. This is the vision of the creation and Adam and Eve and more. It's a vision. And he saw God face to face and he talked with him and the glory of God was upon Moses. Therefore, Moses could endure his presence. And in verse 4, And behold, thou art my son, wherefore look, and I will show the, the workmanship of mine hands, but not all, for my works are without end. So we get an idea that, you know, of the cosmology here of restored scripture. It's not just this earth, but not all for his purposes. And also my words, for they never cease. And in verse 7, another clue. And now behold, this one thing I show unto thee. And then again, down in verse 36, And it came to pass that Moses spake unto the Lord, saying, Be merciful unto thy servant, O God, and tell me concerning this earth. Right? This is, again, this is this vision that he's getting. And the inhabitants thereof. Well, that's going to start with the Adam and Eve story. And also the heavens, and then thy servant will be content. And finally here, at the end of Moses 1, these words were spoken unto Moses in the mount, the name of which shall not be known among the children of men, and now they are spoken unto you. That's us. Show them not unto any except them that believe. Even so, amen. All right, well, why would that be? Well, because this is temple liturgy, right? He's couching this in something that is sacred, that is precious. So this is what he's getting up in the mountain here, this vision. And then over into chapter 2, what are we going to get here? We're going to get the creation story. But again, he's on the mountain. This is where this happens. And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, I reveal unto you concerning this heaven and this earth. Write the words which I speak. This is going to be Genesis 1. I am the beginning and the end, the Almighty God, by, by mine only begotten I created these things. Yea, in the beginning I created the heaven and the earth upon which thou standest. 
and then it moves right into something very, very similar to Genesis 1. And the earth was without form and void, and I caused darkness to come upon the face of the earth, and my spirit moved upon the face of the water, for I am God. And I, God, said, let there be light. And there was light, and then it goes on. right? And then from there, as we go through the different days of the creation story, again, very similar to Genesis 1, we then move over into the Garden of Eden story. In verse 26, let us make man in our image after our, after our likeness, and it was so. And I, God, said, let them have dominion over the fishes of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle. And then chapter 3 is going to go right into the Garden of Eden story. So what we're getting here is not Moses writing down a history. He's writing something down from a vision like the book of Revelation or like we get from Daniel or like we get from Lehi. And so again, what are we looking at here? We're looking at symbolism. We're looking not at literal talk, literal language. We're looking at spiritual language. It's completely different. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Well, what is the temple? It's, it's the center point for that. It's bringing heaven and earth together. Now, Joseph Smith thought that this was crucial for us to understand. And yet we keep stepping away from this, it seems to me into some kind of a literal idea of, of what is being presented to us instead of understanding that it is a vision and the way it is presented is as a temple drama. And this is what he says about us understanding the true nature of God. He says, In the first place, I wish to go back to the beginning, to the morn of creation. There is the starting point for us to look to in order to understand and, and be fully acquainted with the mind purposes, and decree, decrees of the great Elohim, who sits in yonder heavens as he did at the creation of this world. Remember, we always have the idea of the throne, right? A throne theophany. It's temple imagery. It's the Holy of Holies. It is necessary for us to have an understanding of God himself in the beginning. If we start right, it is easy to go right all the time. But if we start wrong, we may go wrong, and it be a hard matter to get right. So this is important for us to understand. It's why oftentimes in the episodes that I do with Come Follow Me or, or other episodes on the scriptures and, and the gospel principles, that I so often go back to the creation story and the Garden of Eden. It is foundational. right? It's foundational for Lehi and Nephi. When they go through their vision of the tree of life, that is temple imagery. That is about the temple. The book of Revelation is about the temple and much beyond that, but its, its core is about the atonement and, and the temple experience. Now, in addition to the temple example of the creation story and the Garden of Eden story, in addition to Genesis, in addition to the book of Moses, we also have a creation story in the book of Abraham, which is very interesting. Right? These are all, why do we keep getting this over and over again? Why do these dispensational prophets, the heads of these dispensations, all have the same experience? Why do they all get this same vision? It's because it's at the core of the temple. You need, need these for certain covenants. You need these for certain understanding and principles of worship. 
So if we go to the book of Abraham, we're going to see the same thing, right? And we go to chapter 3 here. This is the, the chapter that we get kind of all these strange names with, right? Kolob and Kokobeam and all these different things that represent the heavens, a hierarchy, a structure. Why do we get these things? Because they're spiritual words. It's spiritual language. It's not literal Abraham is having a vision before he, right before he goes into the land of Egypt. And where is he getting this vision from? Well, we're told right at the beginning of chapter 3. This is how we need to read these creation stories. It says here, 3.1, chapter 3.1, And I, Abraham, had the Urim and Thummim, which the Lord my God had given unto me in Ur of the Chaldees. Again, setting the stage for where all this information is coming from. This is how he sees it. This is how he sees the creation story. Not writing down a history. That's not what's happening. And in the Urim and Thummim, the very next verse, it says, And I saw the stars. Right? He sees this through the Urim and Thummim. And that they were very great, and that one of them was nearest unto the throne of God. And there were many great ones which were near unto it. That's Kolob. So the, the craziness of these things in chapter 3, if you understand that this is a drama in a sense, it's a parallel, as was often done anciently, of the cosmos with priesthood authority and with a, a hierarchy of the heavens, then we understand that this is symbolism. Its focus is on principles, not on literal translations. And as he goes through this hierarchy, this, this cosmological hierarchy, which is centered in temple doctrine, is what it is, and is found on facsimile too, we see this language here again of what he sees in the Urim and Thummim. He says here again in verse 4, supporting the same thing, And the Lord said unto me, By the Urim and Thummim, that Kolob was after the manner of the Lord, according to its times and seasons and the revolutions thereof. Again, if we're taking this literally, if we don't understand that he's seeing this as a vision, as he's looking through the Urim and Thummim, he's a seer, then we just say this is crazy talk. This is the, four, this is the beasts and the four horsemen and the 24 elders standing around the throne of God. The woman cast out to the wilderness and the dragon of the book of Revelation. Unless we understand that it's, it's spiritual talk and it's symbolism and its core is uh, an experience and a drama to, to go through, to, to sympathize with, to make covenants with, then it's just going to seem very bizarre and strange to us. Let's look again here at verse 12. And he said unto me, My son, my son, this is to Abraham, and his hand was stretched out, Behold, I will show you all these. And he put his hand upon mine eyes. It's a vision. And then he goes on with a stranger name. Sheneha, Kokob, Kokobim, Olea, etc. Right? It's imagery, symbolism. Again in 22, Now the Lord had shown unto me, Abraham, the intelligences that were organized before the world was. And among these were many of the, the noble and great ones. That's a familiar scripture to us. One of the few out of the book of Abraham because we don't study it enough. Right? So again, this is being shown to him through the Urim and Thummim. 
Now we continue and this rolls right into, guess what? The creation story and then the Adam and Eve story. He's seeing this through the Urim and Thummim. 24 says, and there stood one among them that was like unto God. Again, he's going through the, the hierarchy that you would get. Think about your temple experience, especially before last year. And he said unto those who were with him, we will go down, for there is space there, and we will take of these materials, and we will make an earth whereon these may dwell. Right, so we're getting some combination here with the, the temple account of the creation. Our temple account of the creation. But again, it's going into a hierarchy. It's going into a structure. Just like he was just going over first with Kolob and all of the other crazy names that we think are kind of different, but we're not usually understanding what's going on there. Right? He's making a parallel between these stars or planets with actual hierarchy of the priesthood and the creation that we participate in. It was done all the time, right? Messengers, angels are equal to stars. Cherubim are equal to stars oftentimes. That's how the ancients would think, but it's, it's symbolic. And so we get a little bit more of the, uh, an account of the pre-mortal life that finishes off here in chapter three. He's still in a vision. And then it rolls right over into chapter 4. And what are we getting here in chapter 4? Well, this is the creation story, right? And then the Lord said, let us go down. And they went down at the beginning. And they, that is the gods, organized and formed the heavens and the earth. And the earth, after it was formed, was empty and desolate because they had not formed anything but the earth. And darkness reigned upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of the gods was brooding upon the face of the waters. And they, the gods, said, let there be light. And there was light. Again, he's looking through the Urim and Thummim. So this is crucial for our understanding. We have the, the, the scriptures and the temple experience of the restoration. We need to apply it. We need to understand what is going on here. These things are visions and we should read them as such. They are temple liturgy. What that means is they are recorded for us for our temple experience, primarily, and to ponder on the principles and to look at it as a temple drama, right? Where we are participants. We are Adam. We are Eve. And others can fill the roles of whether it be the stars and the planets or whether it be Elohim and Jehovah and Adam and Eve and Peter, James, and John and Lucifer, Cain and Abel, etc. If we understand that, that it's a drama based off of a vision, we can look at this completely different and we don't have to try and force science into this narrative. That wouldn't make any sense, right? Trying to think to ourselves, oh, well, the Lord says that one day equals a thousand years. One day to him is a thousand years to man. So maybe it was the earth was made in 6,000 years. No. Again, you're, we're, we're going down a road here of the lower law. We're trying to fit this into a science, which is important to know. The science is important. But this is not a scientific account. It's not a historical account. 
Think of stories that we get from Shakespeare, right, that are about actual characters. At least some of them are actual characters. But there's a story based on principles and, and understanding conflict and decisions and tragedy that is there for us to observe. The difference with this is that this is based on actual visions to prophets that are that is given over and over again and that it's created for us to not only observe in a theater but to actually be participants in i want to finish with this which is a a quote from a book of scripture that's not in our canon but it reflects an understanding of many of the of the ancients especially christianity and their understanding of this creation story and who it was given to. Right? Here's what it says. This is Second Baruch chapter 4, verses 2 to 5. It says, On the palms of my hand have I graven thee. This is temple imagery. That which was prepared beforehand, or from the time I took counsel to create paradise, it's the Garden of Eden, and showed it to Adam before he sinned, and after that, I showed it to my servant Abraham by night. And again, I showed it to Moses on Mount Sinai. Coincidence? No. Right? Coincidence that in the Pearl of Great Price, we have an anchor from a dispensational prophet, prophet known as Moses that gives us Genesis. If we read the book of Moses, we need to read the Pearl of Great Price more. If we read and understand the book of Moses, we see that this is a vision in Genesis. And then again here, as 2 Baruch references, Abraham sees the vision as well. And we know from the book of Abraham that he is in a vision. He's seeing this through the Urim and Thummim. And of course, going to the temple account. Why do we have the creation story and the Garden of Eden story as the core narrative to begin things off in the temple experience of the endowment. It's because that's what it was written for. The whole tabernacle, the whole temple of Solomon is constructed after a vision. And if you follow it through day by day, you can see that. Day one is the Holy of Holies. Day two is the veil. Day three comes outside of the veil. And I'm not going to go over that right now. I'll save that for another episode. But the temple, the tabernacle, is built after a vision. And so not only the words that we get in the temple experience are from this vision, but the actual building of the architecture and of the emblems in the Temple of Solomon are exactly for the same purpose, to reflect the vision that these prophets received and to place the drama which is what that vision is, into the actual process of making covenants and telling a story about ourselves while also giving us principles of creation, of human existence, of mortality, of agency, and of the need of an atonement, allowing us to go through a temple process that is built around the fall and then helping us to get back to our Heavenly Father. I hope that can help for some of you in, in understanding and, and looking at these creation stories in a different way. 
And I wish more broadly that Christianity could have a greater understanding also that this is a vision and it's for the temple. And this nonsense between trying to go through evolution on one side and, and creationism on the other and science on one side and faith and scripture on the other, that it just doesn't make any sense. It's apples and oranges, no pun intended. I'll talk to you next time. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.